everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's podcast is about social media and its connection with the violence in Leicester. Just to give you a brief background. on, I think if I remember the date correctly, it was on the 17th of November. Uh, the report of NCRI, which was called Cyber Social Swarming Precedes Real World Riots in Leicester. How social media became a weapon for violence was released. If I've gotten the date wrong, I apologize, Parth and Prasiddha. But if I remember correctly, that was the day it was tweeted out to the public. So this report had come out. Now, people might be wondering, you know, as always is with social media discourse, Kushal, the violence happened a long time ago. We got over it. We, we, we have a new car to bark at. Why are you barking about old issues? Well, this is the reason I am doing that. Research takes time. Reports can only be collated and collected and formulated because it needs time to look at data, then write it down. It goes through a process that is reviewed, it's peer reviewed. And these things take time. And this report, that's why it came on the 17th of November. And then it took me some time to read it, cross verify it. And that's why I have the two authors of the report, Parth and Prasiddha. Welcome back to the podcast. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. All right. So let's start with this. Uh, Prasida, I can I'll begin with you and then I'll come to parts. First, let's do this. Explain the methodology of the research that you guys have taken. And what was there any deviation from the first report that you had done on Hindu phobia, which was uh, at the time, I think it was from Rutgers, right? Uh, when that report had come. Obviously, NCRI was involved in that, uh, that research too. But uh, my first question is explain the methodology because uh, otherwise everybody is just shooting in the dark. So explain how did you guys go about it? Sure. So I'm going to start by sharing my screen, actually. Um, so um, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to go through things in chronological order. So first, what we did is we developed a timeline of events and the malicious narratives that basically surrounded the events that took place in Leicester. So when we took a look at the social media data, first, it's important to understand why we did this report. So in many cases, for example, whenever there is like issues of violence and instances, um, we don't know whether there is like the role of social media. What did it play? But in this particular case, it's very obvious that malicious narratives, misinformation, disinformation really played a role in stoking the violence. So what we did is we went back all the way um, back when the first cricket match happened and the kind of malicious narratives that surrounded um, were basically there were Indian cricket fans that were chanting Pakistan Murdabad, which translated death to Pakistan, um, basically accompanied by brawls between Indian and Pakistani cricket fans. And you see that this um, narrative of people getting into violence in cricket matches, which has happened and has happened spe uh, specifically in the case of Leicester, where this isn't the first time that fans have been clashing. And you see that this is basically transformed into this narrative that, oh, it is Hindutva that is responsible for this. So we trace back the first tweet, which actually comes from an account that's since been deleted. And this tweet has also been deleted. Um, and I think that's also important to note that because in a lot of these instances where people analyze what happened in Leicester, they don't have uh, records of tweets that have been deleted. So we use tools such as the web archive to actually take a look at tweets that have been deleted. So um, what you see is that someone is saying that this is basically about Hindutva, and that's the reason that these attacks um, against Pakistani cricket fans are taking place. This first tweet went viral right after the cricket match, um, 2037 retweets, quote tweets, and this video of the fans chanting had close to 305,000 views. 
So um, then what we did is we developed a social graph of all of the people that were responding to this video. Um, and you see that basically several people are responding um, and basically the edges uh, denote people who are responding to this initial tweet. And you see that people are responding, basically saying that this is about Islamophobia and this is like linked to Hindutva as a narrative. And you see that this gets significant amplification from several actors that we've identified. And once this initial video comes out, um, all of these British Pakistani accounts basically call like portray the Hindu community as a threat and basically call for retaliation. And from that, we used open source intelligence to basically look at um, all of the timeline of events that took place. Um, I don't want to go through all of it in detail for the interest of time, but the point is what we did is we took a look at every single event that had happened in chronological order. What were the kind of malicious narratives that came about um, and who were the prominent actors that were talking about this on all social media platforms, whether it was Twitter, Instagram. And one thing that um, analysts from other papers have not talked about is actually the role of YouTube. So what we see is that channels that have um, close to six, over 600,000 subscribers posting videos that accumulated you know, 128,000 plus views um, that are warning the BJP not to mess with Pakistani gangs in the UK who are going to be pushing back. Um, Parth, do you want to talk about the uh, malicious narratives? Sure. So one of the main uh, things that we do in the paper is to summarize the malicious narratives that were spread through social media that actually ended up leading to a lot of the violence that was witnessed in Leicester. So in particular, one of the most, I think, textual and detailed one of these uh, malicious narratives was one that concerned three Hindu uh, young men who had kidnapped a Muslim schoolgirl. Now, the Leicester police clarified that this incident, uh, alleged incident, never took place. Um, but still, around this incident, there was a lot of misinformation spread. For instance, Instagram user Dutch Raja posted a screenshot of one of the supposed people who was responsible for this kidnapping. Again, who knows how he identified the person, right? We have no idea. But he identifies a person supposedly linked to this debunked kidnapping. And he suggests that this person needs to be taught a lesson. So he says, shall we go on Saturday to teach these uh, guys a lesson? And of course, 95% of the users say, yes, we should go. We should go down to Leicester from, um, uh, from Birmingham to Leicester um, to teach them a lesson. And so there's a whole um, kind of organized effort to bring people from Birmingham to Leicester um, to intimidate people, uh, the Hindu community that's responsible for this violence. Uh, and as a result, you see actually on uh, the day that they, they asked for this to happen on, I think it was September 17th, uh, you see actually that there is a breakout of riots on the ground in Leicester as a result of these people being bust in. So there's a very clear link here between this false rumor of this kidnapping and on the ground violence that happens in Leicester. That's the, probably the clearest example that we identified uh, while we were doing our research. There's a couple other malicious narratives that also took shape. One was extremely penetrative. It was carried also by several news outlets, uh, which we can highlight in a bit. Um, but this was that uh, Hindutva thugs had attacked a mosque in Birmingham. Now, this again was proven to be false. Um, Again, the police is clarifying, as you can see on the screen, that, that these social media reports of a mosque being attacked are, are false. 
Um, and yet this news was actually carried by Al Jazeera Arabic, um, as well as was as well as being spread by several, uh, as I mentioned, several users on social media, which again, then gets used for another narrative, which is that this mosque attack that never happened was enabled by Hindu Mandir. The specific uh, narrative in this case is that the um, Sri Sanatan Hindu Mandir, which is um, uh, in the area as well, had bust uh, devotees from the Mandir to the mosque in order to attack it. So that Mandir is then labeled as the hornet's nest of Nazi Hindutva. There's a demonstration outside of that Mandir. And you see the wire carrying a combination of both of these stories that a Mandir had bust devotees to the mosque to attack it. So now we see two nodes of uh, disinformation. One is that there was an attack on the mosque in the first place, which has since been debunked for days. And the second is that there is this Mandir that supposedly brought people on these angel tour buses to that mosque. The angel tour bus owner, who is himself a Muslim, clarifies that this never took place, and yet this rumor continues to circulate. So we see once a, once a, once a narrative is, is set, it becomes very difficult, even when authorities are suggesting it doesn't take place, that in fact, it continues to spread. Now, one example of an anti-Muslim uh, misinformation narrative that is spread from India concerns the burning of a temple in Leicester, uh, sorry, in Birmingham, excuse me. So this, again, never took place. You can see the police is suggesting that this is false. The video that is spread accompanying this rumor is a fire at a supermarket, um, which was caused when rubbish uh, spread to the building. So we talked about how Indian Twitter is often a dumpster fire. Here, Indian Twitter literally takes a dumpster fire and characterizes it as a mandir being burned down. So you see that these uh, forms of, of, of misinformation continue to spread and are essentially used to cast blame on the other community. In the case of the misinformation narratives that were spread against the Hindu community, there was actually tangible violence that was committed as a result of them, and they were carried also by uh, mainstream media outlets, as I've mentioned. Um, in the case of the um, of these anti-Muslim narratives, they were they were solely used to cast blame on the Muslim community. We could not find any evidence that these narratives were used um, to or link them, I should say, to on the ground events. Can, can um, I ask a question here? Can I ask yes. a question here? So uh, in your research, when you were looking at these trends, um, did you also look at, uh, let's say, when a negative rumor or a report, at that time it's uh, uh, the news uh, bit is shared, and when it is corrected, what was the retweet and co-tweet ratio between the two like what's the negative report and the correction shared equally uh, did you guys look at that aspect I, i'm just curious so you mean the the retweets between which two do you are you so, so let's say uh the mandir uh, is doing xyz or the mosque is set on fire for example and then the police corrects it so the police tweet compared to the the mosque is doing this or the mandir is set on fire this were the retweets the same or just the negative report tends to get a very high percentage of attention and the police correction barely gets anything 
Well, that's a great question. So if we take a look at something like um, when you go back and let's take a look at this Instagram story, for instance, this user Dutch Raja has over 150,000 followers calling people to go to Birmingham, whereas the police tweets um, this has at most like at most we can say it has 3000 retweets, 7000 likes. Um, we don't know how many people this reached, of course, but you already see that disparity. We didn't do quantitative analysis that looks at these disparities. I mean, it is definitely interesting, but just visually right now, we can see that the Dutch Raja amplification is significantly gaining more traction than, let's say, this police tweet. Just to add to Prasidda's answer, we know also from the topic network that Prasidda, uh, or the network of users that Prasidda created, that it was the Hindu community that was directly engaged with the police social media handles to a larger extent than the, the Muslim community was. So even in the cases where a correction was, was issued, I think if you were to look at the geographical breakdown of where those retweets are coming from, you would see that most of those retweets are coming from India and not coming from locals on the ground, either Hindus or Muslims. And as a result of that, you see that the information that police is putting out is not having the effect, even to the extent that you see the amount of retweets that it's getting. And, and what you yeah. see here, like for example, in the social graph is all of the users that are um, in pink with the pink edges, those are Hindu accounts. And you see that most of the edges are going straight towards the Leicester police. Whereas Five Pillars UK, Majid Freeman, all of these are just coordinating like amongst each other, as opposed to the central like node of interaction being Leicester police. The reason I ask this question is uh, there is now solid material in psychology, which has been replicated. So this I can say with some level of confidence that we have a negativity bias. So whenever uh, we tend to share negative news, because obviously right, we are primed at an evolutionary level to be aware of the snakes or 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 those dangerous things when we were in, in the hunter-gatherer environment. And unfortunately, social media has just hacked that thing. And every time you have, it, it happens time and again, lie big, retract small. For example, uh, a mainstream media or an online portal will share fake news. That is front page. But the retraction every time is not on fr the front page and the same way with big caps. It is there in page 8 or 9 or it's somewhere in the corner. That That is problem number one. Lie big, retract small because it doesn't get clicks. Secondly, on social media, what I have seen is every time this happens... Uh, Let's even look at the meta uh, saga with Wire, right? The, at the time when the Wire report came out and Amit Malviya was presented as the greatest villain on planet Earth with Mogambo-like powers, you know, that got so much traction. But when it was proven that, uh, you know, this thing has not happened, if you look at the areas where the correction should have gone, which is naturally people who don't like the BJP, for example... You barely see in those handles any reach, anything happening. So every time, I, I, I which is why, I, this is my personal request to you guys. Next time when you do some, some research like this, if you could incorporate this aspect in it and, you know, what will happen is when there are peer-reviewed papers that are published and this creates a pressure on social media companies. For example, uh, Elon said recently in a tweet after buying Twitter, you have freedom of expression. You don't have freedom of reach. I don't know if you guys remember that tweet of Elon. Now, mm -hmm. that my point is that 
the negative thing always has more freedom of reach <laughs> than the correction yes. by the police so and and when we quantitatively try to analyze which you guys are doing in this report which is something like real life effects of false social media information because of the lack of reach of real information which is in this case the the lester police or uh, or uh, any other media responsible media organization uh, it would actually help create some pressure on these organizations so i just wonder i i apologize for the segue now prasidha i'm going to give it back to you and you can continue no no problem at all yeah that's actually really good we will definitely take a look into that in the next paper that we do Um so then what we did is we actually collected a set of terms um from Twitter uh that basically pertain to Lester and the violence. Um we didn't just collect for example mentions of the word Hindu or Muslim or any of these other terms just because we don't want to be getting fluff. So we very specifically focused it on a set of terms and what you can basically see is that mentions of Muslim um this is the topic network the same as what we did for the previous paper of basically looking at the relationship between words um when you take a look at the term muslim for instance you see that the words most closely associated are largely lone hundreds drunken last night allegedly retaliation group protester descend and what we did is we took a look at actual terms that were associated with muslim and actual tweets and um basically this is the idea that muslims were responding to the violence um for example reference tweets are yes they came in retaliation to the rss extremists after after they marched through predominantly muslim areas of leicester causing havoc and assaulting people basically hindus were attacking muslims in leicester in the, and in this clip muslims take revenge and destroy one of their cars so you see that muslims are basically portrayed as retaliating to the hindu violence whereas when you take a look at the term hindu you can see that most of these terms are actually associated with terrorizing abuse emerge unleash terrorize deliberately um and then you have another cluster for muslim which is an, the same terms but those are closely um associated with muslim rather than hindu but you see that basically hindus are portrayed as uh the abusers and like the people who are really terrorizing the other communities and you also see terms like mushrik and genocidal coming up basically portraying hindus as these genocidal people um in lester and um we kind of went through this already but we developed a social graph of all of the predominant uh, prominent users that were talking about the lester violence and you see that hindu accounts are mostly interacting with the police whereas majid freeman five pillars uk and others are basically interacting amongst each other and one thing that we noticed and this actually i think came up last time we were on this podcast is the mentions of kalpis during this violence so kalpis is obviously an anti-hindu slur that's being used and you see that it was actually doubled right before the actual mandir um in birmingham was attacked where people were screaming um go drink some kalpis and go eat some cow like um yeah so you see that these um you see a massive spike right before the violence took place And then what we did is we used Google's perspective API um which gives us scores for toxicity, threats, identity attack and insults and we basically classified a tweet as any of these if the scores were greater than 0.5 and you see that throughout this violence the tweets with identity attacks really surged and when you take a look at um the top 500 uh locations for the most retweeted tweets um with an identity attack you see that roughly in the UK there is roughly equal blame on uh, hindus and muslims with hindus being blamed a little bit more whereas in india you see um muslims portrayed as the aggressors of the violence significantly higher so 
Um, we basically repeated the same process for both YouTube and TikTok data, um, looking at the most viral videos from both, um, where views we looked at for TikTok greater than 20,000 and YouTube uh, greater than 10,000. And you see how many portray Hindus as aggressors, Muslims as aggressors, and the ones that don't assign blame. And we also did topic modeling for that. And you um, for the YouTube transcripts and the comments, and you see a lot of the comments actually have anti-Hindu tropes overall. And then one other thing that we found that's very interesting is looking at bot-like activities. So we see bots that are amplifying anti-Muslim rhetoric. So this is determined um, through a number of ways. So the first is looking at the account creation dates throughout this violence of um, these bots. You see, uh, if we looked at throughout this violence, there was roughly 500 accounts that were created um, during this entire episode. And what you see, we manually went through all of those accounts and looked for coordinated inauthentic activity, meaning the same messages were spammed over and over again. So if someone is tweeting, let's say 200 times or 500 times a minute, you know that that is not um, authentic. So you see that anti-Muslim rhetoric basically portrays Muslims, um, yeah, portrays Muslims as the aggressors and also basically says that um, Islam is like in conflict with every religion and then basically creating like this model minority trope of, of oh, Hindus are peaceful, but like Muslims are involved in Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, etc. And uh, basically portraying all Muslims as terrorists. Whereas anti-Hindu rhetoric, um, there's also activity from bots. Um, some of, I believe, yeah, there was... Um, Oh, yeah. So the one of these bots have been suspended by Twitter, though. And then anti-Hindu bots, on the other hand, were basically portraying Hindus as completely the, the violent instigators, um, saying that Hindutva terrorists and that um, Hindus are also causing genocide um, in Leicester and basically portraying Hindu, creating this like binary between these peaceful Hindus. We don't have any problem, but it's these Hindutva terrorists that are coming into Leicester and and uh, killing everyone. And then you see overall that um, when we look at OSINT and kind of memes that have been circulated very virally, you see that both anti-Hindu and anti-Muslim memes are um, all rising. So you see that this anti-Muslim meme basically depicting and dehumanizing Muslims as insects, while, you know, this doesn't really have anything to do with Lester, this actually did trend with the hashtag Hindus under attack in UK, um, which was actually removed by Twitter. The same is the case also of a fear mongering about um, Islamic invasion of the UK, which has also been circulating. And at the same time, um, anti-Hindu messaging um, through the form of OSINT memes basically portray Hindus as uh, the aggressors of the violence who are now playing victim in front of the international media. And the same memes of Hindus um, attacking and Muslims only retaliating um, is basically continued um, from these memes. And when we talk about discussions about Hindu phobia versus Islamophobia, you see that Islamophobia is significantly higher versus conversations around Hindu phobia. So this basically suggests an education gap between the respective hatreds. And then finally, what we did is we ran this data through AI uh, models. Can you explain what do you mean by the education gap between the two hatreds? This, I think it's important. Yeah, sure. So you see that when you look at the mentions of Islamophobia, a lot more people throughout this violence are talking about Islamophobia, whereas about Hindu phobia, um, despite the fact that several of these memes are anti-Hindu, there is not that much discussion on Twitter around Hindu phobia. So what we're saying is that Islamophobia is talked about significantly more um, than Hindu phobia. Parth, do you want to add anything? No, I just think it goes to the fact that there's a lack of awareness about one as compared to the other. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then what we did is we ran this data through um, Confliver and Hatebird, which basically identified a set of tweets as 
um, whether it was uh, hate speech, basically. And then what we did is we used a human in the loop approach of going through all of those tweets, um, getting the ones that were incitement to violence, and also marking whether they were anti-Hindu or anti-Muslim. And you see that for overall, roughly 70% of the tweets were anti-Hindu and 30% were anti-Muslim. Um, there are a few examples, actually, of anti-Hindu and anti-Muslim ones that we uh, listed in the appendix. But basically, the anti-Hindu ones, there was one very prominent one um, basically saying that we are not in Uttar Pradesh here. We're going to lynch you by your piss drinking mouths. Um, and for anti-Muslim ones, there were ones basically uh, calling uh, Muslims as terrorists overall and basically calling for action against Muslims. So these are the types of um a violent incitement that we have characterized from these AI models. And just for conclusion, we talked about how uh, several media outlets have platformed people who are actually responsible for um, basically central agitators in the violence. And we list out recommendations for what social media companies and law enforcement need to be aware of to actually counter these things very actively and make this preventative as opposed to, you know, some something violent happening and then reacting to it. So, so, so before we get into the recommendations, I actually want to talk about something very specific in the in the report, which is the percentage uh, of uh, Hindu versus Muslim uh, uh, reportage, where it is like a sixty thirty or something. Uh, wh what exactly is that? If you could explain that bit. Yeah. So what what we did is when we went through all of the tweets that were characterized as violent incitement. Um, we took a look at which one of these are anti-Hindu and how many of these are anti-Muslim. So actually, let me see if I can pull up some examples from the appendix um, that will explain here. One second. Okay, yeah. So what we do is, so these are examples of, of tweets that we call for violence um, that has been classified as calls for violence and which community is it calling for violence against. So for example, a tweet like, all the Muslims need to unite these cowpists drink cow pissers think they're bad, it's about time we show them what's up. And you see that this is talking, this is calling for violence against Hindus. Whereas you see that exact tweets like this one, throw out these Islamic terrorists from your country, otherwise you will suffer, we, we will send them blah, blah, blah. All of this is calling for violence against Muslims. So you see that the number of tweets that are calling for violence, 70% is against Hindus and 30% is against Muslims. So uh, when you say 70% of what and 30% of what, uh, what was the data set that was being analyzed? The same data set that we used um, throughout this uh, entire Lester episode, what we did is we ran those through Conflibert and Hatebert. And that basically gave us a number of um, tweets that were uh, basically classified as hate speech. And from that data set, we classified um, how many of those are calls to violence. And if so, are they calls to violence against Hindus or are they calls to violence against Muslims? Got it. So basically, there is a, a specific data set. And in that, when you did the analysis, what you found was the I mean, this is uh, there is a disproportionately high anti-Hindu sentiment. Now, the, what was the reason for that? Was there a sampling uh, uh, sampling um, bias in that, if you don't mind me asking that question? Yeah. So, well, what we did is we we manually went through. It wasn't just one person going through it. It was uh, three different people who manually went through all of the data and then um, basically cross-checked whether the violence was used against Hindus or against Muslims. Um, and what you see also is that a lot of these narratives are basically 
are, are basically from the kind of malicious narratives that we've already talked about is calling, you know, um, yeah, you see basically calling for retaliation and calling like basically like you see from the topic network of Hindus being portrayed as the aggressors and like Muslims retaliating. You see that this is like calling for action and reaction um, to this. All right. One question I had in your conclusion, uh, there's a very specific paragraph which says mainstream media platforms like the BBC, The Guardian, The New York Times and other outlets failed to perform due diligence on Majid Freeman and yes. amplified the voice of a conspiracy theorist and extremist sympathizer who was a central agitator in the events of Leicester. And CRI analysis reveals that Freeman was a key disseminator of malicious narratives that were in turn disseminated by a network of groups known to be involved in mobilizing on the ground in Leicester itself. Now, again, could we in the future also look at a very specific uh, uh, way, in a very specific way, let's say Guardian reported something, New York Times reports something, and then that leads to what you have said, a dissemination and a uh, as uh, to use the butterfly effect of anti-Hindu hatred or anti-Muslim hatred? Could, or did you guys even analyze that? That Or could you guys pinpoint that this tweet led to X amount of impressions which were anti-Hindu or this tweet led to Y amount of impressions that were anti-Hindu? I think we I think we could. I didn't I mean, we didn't do this in this particular case, but I, I do think it's possible to do that, to see the specific impacts of like a media article um, and the kind of what kind of sentiments it's created around different communities. Yeah, that's possible. Because why? this is just my opinion and I'm just thinking out loud as I'm talking to you guys and I'm listening to you too. And maybe Parth, I, I, I wanted to hear your views also. But don't you think it is yeah. important that if the media, you know, media presents itself as to be the watchdog of society, but what it's like, what what happens? Everything has second order, third order effects. When the media presents a false information or media presents a narrative and uh, these are not your words these are my words so before somebody puts it on to you i am specifically taking the name of the guardian over here the role the guardian has played in this entire episode is you know an abomination and i use these words with full responsibility and even recently the guardian came up with an absolute garbage article in the form and you know how the media gets away with these things is that it's an opinion piece right they get away with it putting it under the opinion and this is not reportage this is opinion but hang on the social media algorithm doesn't know for the social media algorithm it's just a tweet with a clickbaity headline that leads to second and third order effects. So my request to you two is, if you guys can actually, you know, research this, where articles from these big portals, how much, I guess what you guys would have to do is, below these articles, what are the replies? What is the percentage of Hindu phobia there? What kind of uh, impressions do these articles create, right? If I was to use a technical term, or am I not making any sense, Parth? No, you're making sense. I think what you're suggesting is that these articles, these news media outlets, when they amplify the views of the people who are spreading the misinformation on the ground, right? So Majid Freeman that you mentioned here, just to go back to what we said earlier, Majid Freeman is the originator of the rumor that uh, the the young Muslim woman had been, capped, uh, had been kidnapped or attempted to be kidnapped by three Hindu men. So 
if they're platforming that person, then they're essentially platforming misinformation and they're helping to spread that misinformation. That's the argument you're making, which I think is completely valid. Now, I think what you would have to do is exactly what you're saying, which is you have to map out from that article what is exactly the, the, the context of what happens afterwards, right? So you can't just have a time series analysis and say, the article came out on this day and then we see a spike because you don't know exactly why that happened. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to assign causality in that case because at the end of the day, someone else is the one who originated the rumor. So we don't know whether this effect is happening because some of something they did or something that the outlet did. So actually going through and creating a network where you see from a New York Times story what is happening. Now, in particular, I can't remember an example. I think one example that I remember of a, of a media outlet creating misinformation kind of from out of thin air, not simply platforming it, is in the case of the Wall Street Journal's report on. Remember that um, IB officer that was killed in the Delhi riots? Mm -hmm. And the Wall Street Journal essentially had made up this story about how his brother had claimed that he was killed by Hindutva people or something, right? Mm -hmm. So like that's an example of a media outlet creating the misinformation out of thin air where you can actually pinpoint where the origin of the misinformation is and it's easier to actually identify where it's coming from. Whereas in these cases, as you say, you have to actually map out the full network of, 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 of all the tweets that are coming and, and, and how that information is, is disseminating, which is much more difficult. Yeah, because why I'm saying this is very important is that these things now tend to have real life effects. Now, mm -hmm. somebody might come, oh, but it's one life or two lives. Well, one life is also very important, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. So how how can we do? Second, second thing is, uh, in your conclusion, you also say local community leaders and law enforcement may have the opportunity to overturn the erosion of public trust impacting local communities and develop unions to address these issues but let me be again these are my words not you two i have been one of the most vocal critics of what was done there by three specific hindu leaders over there one was the baps mandir one was iskon and one was one more group. When that press conference was held and we shared the images, how do you trust your community leaders when Majid Freeman is part of that press conference? Right. It, it literally happened. I'm not making this up, right? It literally happened. Majid Freeman is the one who is perpetrating the entire false information. And, and so how does one... So my question to you is not... Blaming the community leaders. In such a scenario, Prasiddha, how do we train community leaders about the importance of these information cascades that happen and something can lead to much more than what we may intend it to be? I think the problem is that people simply aren't aware. And I think like what we've said with the media outlets of not doing their due diligence about who they're platforming, I think the same case is actually true within the community where they don't actually look at what is this individual's words or what are the things that they've been saying. And without really understanding that and talking to people, thinking that, oh, we can all we can all be okay as long as we like open dialogue and instead just maybe repeating what the other person is saying without thinking critically about it. I think that's an issue. So, but but that doesn't like nonetheless, like there are still people that both from both communities that can come together and really talk about the different like malicious narratives that would have been spreading and to basically circulate messaging within their own community with the truth as opposed to maybe amplifying the false narratives. 
now let us focus on the recommendations if you can put that up on the screen i want to go them uh, go through all of them one by one in detail so let's start with the first one i'm going to read it out memory hole problem and you have to explain what this means okay because you, this even i don't understand half of these words because malicious actors are deleting incendiary narratives and calls for violence after the impact of those calls are executed social media platforms must do a better job of recording and sharing deleted activity with researchers not doing so abets perpetrators in hiding potentially criminal activity this is a huge problem everywhere in the world especially in a country like india where people are not realizing i sometimes say it jokingly that sometimes people with a stone age mindset have been given data by mukesh ambani and they are on fire in india I, and and i say this in a joking way but it's a real problem because data is the cheapest in india so what exactly is uh, what are you guys recommending as researchers so what's been happening throughout this luster episode is that whenever people call for violence or circulate let's say uh, a muslim student being kidnapped or any or like a traffic warden muslim traffic warden being attacked by you know hindutva thugs then when it comes to know that this information is false all of these individuals delete their tweets and people who have called for violence like that violent example i i told you before about um saying that we're going to lynch the this is an uttar pradesh and that tweet for instance has been completely deleted so the problem is that when people then after the violence takes place and then goes back into twitter and looks at oh what are the narratives what is the data actually showing us the issue is really that everything has been deleted or let's say in the cases of instagram stories where there's like a story and it's only staying there for 24 hours then after that it's gone then you can never verify whether that's real or not unless you've captured screenshots from trusted individuals so that's the issue is that these social media companies need to really be aware of it content moderators trust and safety teams have to really pay close attention because in many of these cases whether it's deleted or it like expires after 24 hours after that what do you do you know there's someone openly calling saying that there is this is the address that we're going to and then we're going to go down to lester that's serious and that's cyber swarming of like gathering people together recruiting them to actually call for violence and instigate violence so social media companies need to play, pay close attention to that and part if you have anything to add No, I was just saying, like uh, when you were saying earlier, Kushal, about um, like when the correction is posted uh, in a much smaller way, this lets people get away. So this is a second mechanism through which they get away, which is that they can just delete their tweets, and then there's no way of assigning responsibility for spreading these narratives onto anyone. We know that it came from Majid Freeman, this uh, one of these narratives, right, that we've been talking about because he is such a big uh, social media person, because he's someone of of known within the community. if he was just some random person then it would be very difficult to recover this whole narrative where it started from how it got started can you talk a little bit more about cyber swarming part that that is something i want my listeners and viewers to understand a little bit more i think that needs to be explained sure so cyber swarming is basically when there's a large sum of social media users that are being brought around a single nodal point So you see this happen uh, in this uh, in this whole uh, conversation around the um, allegedly kidnapped um, Muslim schoolgirl, where you see Dutch Raja encouraging other social media users to amplify the message of on the ground action. 
which is going from Birmingham to Leicester to show the uh, RSS guys a lesson. So you see cyber swarming is essentially gathering people together, gathering other social media users to amplify some message about what to do, about some action to take in the real world. And then you see those people also gathering other people. So it's, it's about a network effect that comes from a single nodal point and that relates to some on the ground event that you were trying to make happen. And so we see that Dutch Raja does this with respect to the, the violence that breaks out in Leicester on September 17th. Got it. So, but if, uh, if you don't mind me trying to um, be cynical here, uh, I, I'm, I'm, famously cynical person in these issues. Do you think the government in general is capable of dealing with social media and the monster that it is like uh, at a technological level? This is more a technological question. Like, governments don't understand the internet apparently is what I have I have figured out in my interaction with government officials in my life. They, they just, they keep playing catch up. So how do we deal with that? So um, the government can hire people who understand the internet. <laughs> yeah, but the government, <laughs> the government, okay. So for example, the government does hire ethical hackers, right? They do. It's not like the government doesn't. I know in intelligence bureaus do and stuff like that, but it's still, it's still, they're always behind the curve on many of these issues, especially issues like these. Or is it a resource crunch? Like the cops may not have the resources that the army or the intelligence bureau yes. does, for example. Yes. And maybe we need to uh, give these resources to the police now, considering that sometimes it is a domain issue. Like uh, X problem might not be the issue of, let's say, CIA in America. It might be the issue of uh, a local cop. And they don't have these resources. And they're like, uh, you know... Uh, a person in a nuclear battle with a with a bow and arrow in that is yes. that the kind of scenario i think that that's a huge part of it i think it's about putting up resources up front to prevent a crime from happening in the first place versus expending a lot of resources after the fact to control the situation right and we see that the police is constantly i mean i don't want to generalize but it seems like the, the most police departments are still in the latter mode I think there's perhaps a lack of awareness about how much crime and how much, especially with these mass events, right, how much communal violence can be caused over social media. Um, and that's something that if there is a recognition of that fact, then you would, I think, see more investments in trying to control what happens before it actually happens. I think, you know, the Leicester police tweeting this out, it's great, but it's responding to what's happened, what's already been spread, right? Um, so, I mean, in, in a sense, this tweet is anticipating the violence that will continue to happen as a result of this tweet. Um, but I think you need to have, have more awareness about what's going to happen. I think the police in many of these situations was reacting rather than being proactive. Um, for example, in the, on the 17th, um, this a person that would know more about um, how the police responded on the 17th, but it seems like the police was responding to this mobilization rather than having information that it was going to take place ex-ante. 
And and I think also to your point before about ethical hacking, the thing is, I, I don't think that actually it needs to go that far because the thing is trust and safety teams have anomaly detection. They have certain keywords, terms, um, you know, slurs that they frequently monitor using computational methods. But I think that there are still limitations because if you actually, let's take a look at this Instagram story, for instance, saying that we're going to gather in this place, this is our meeting point, you know, I don't think it's that simple to train like a ML algorithm or like some kind of detection to show that this actually is a call for violence. So I think this is all about open source intelligence collection. This isn't about, you know, hurting someone's privacy, for instance, or like there's no need for like ethical hacking in these cases. This is all open source on the Internet. It just requires that someone actively monitor what is going on. Can we uh, can you let's say get a a system where you don't need human intervention to monitor this and it is automatically done like uh, i i i did uh, for example i did uh, a podcast with uh, uh, a gentleman who developed this ai tool uh, which is called hindumisia.ai and they mm-hmm. constantly track uh, but they are from the United States of America too. They constantly track uh, Hindu hating tweets and it, they constantly generate reports all the time. And uh, I mean, I, I'm just sharing it for the benefit of, for your benefit and for the benefit of uh, my viewers also. So for example, uh, this is the tool um, and they basically have a global anti-Hindu scorecard and they consistently share uh, moderate severe toxic it's it's a very interesting tool so my point is that what what you're suggesting prasiddha can can this be done at uh, at a scale where this can be actively done i think this depends on the size of your training data because in a lot of these cases like for example let's say we want to train like a classifier for anti hindu hate or like anti-Muslim hate or whatever it is, you need to have a very good sample size um, that you train your algorithm on, and then you have to test it first, and then you have to examine its actual accuracy. And the truth is, we don't have a large data set of anti-Hindu hate, at least that's one that's like peer reviewed and something that we can actually use as a like good methodology. So I think until that's done, it's very difficult to say. Fair enough. Now, now I want to talk about the next... Uh... <laughs> Recommendation, I mean, this this one hurt me. <laughs> Build on interfaith dialogue between communities. There are successful examples of such facilitated dialogue entities that create and facilitate these types of interactions. These exist both in UK and the USA that may involve government or other supportive organizations. I agree with the sentiment. But mm-hmm. then what do you do when organizations talk to Majid Freeman? Right, so I think it has to be people who are serious about actually engaging with the real core issues, right? Like it can't just be random people coming in. It has to be people who actually represent the community and the community's concerns on both sides. Um, If you just have random people coming in who are either not aware of the situation, claim to represent the community, but actually don't, then I think that's where you get into problems. You can also have bomb throwers who are not interested in the dialogue, who will try to torpedo it. That's also an issue on the other side. So I think, um, you know, you have to balance it. You have to figure out who are the people who are the reasonable, as I think our co-author Joel would say, the adults in the room from both communities who can come in, 
identify the concerns, the real legitimate concerns that their community has without, um, you know, vitiating the, the, the discourse. Right. Yeah. The, and the last one, uh, you guys have said, given that Britain's current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, oh, is yeah. a practicing Hindu of Indian origin, understanding and monitoring the networks and online influence involved in the violence of Leicester is urgently needed. NCRI assesses that conspiracies about Hindutva dominance are likely to increase dramatically in the coming months, and this violence is highly replicable. Now, I remember our last podcast, Prasiddha and Parth, I want both of you to share your views on this, and now we can take the screen down. Um I remember Joel telling me, Kushal, be very careful because these are the same patterns we see in anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. I clearly remember Joel telling me this from our last discussion. Now, this, this, this whole Hindutva bogey, but how does one deal with this when you have New York Times, Washington Post, Guardian, and everybody is chacha, mama, and kaka in the mainstream media, basically creating this narrative. It's funny. I was in, today morning. I was in the HAF uh, fundraiser, and I, the first thing I, and, and I've been warning about this uh, since the last four years that more than India, the Hindu community outside India needs to be very careful about these things because. The, these these could the, these Hindutva narratives could have real world consequences. But is there information being shared with anyone? Like I don't know how do how do, okay okay I get that this needs to be done. But but then Prasiddha first you and Parth the same question to you. How do we do it? This is something we talk about all the time. Actually, um, I think there's. I think there's a, a lot of steps that need to be taken. I mean, first of all, I think this report and many other research reports, well, first of all, I want to go back to your, your point about the fact that this is being used um, when after the first report came out, you see this whole set of incidences that have taken place, people charged with hate crimes, whether it's in Canada or in New York or in, in Taco Bell in California. And that was when this article um, from the Washington Post actually was picked up regarding this report that we did. So I think that the thing is, this does pose real world challenges to the community. And when we take a look at Rishi Sunak, there was actually an article that came out in The Guardian um, about how Rishi Sunak was basically called a globalist. And those are, you know, very specific anti-Semitic tropes that are being used. But you see how the assessment that we made is actually turning out to be correct, where even The Guardian has been picking up on these types of trends. Um, I think parts probably you could answer it better than me of, of what do we actually do about about all of this? Right. So I will say as far as the mainstream media uh, specific outlets are concerned is that I, I don't think that there is a lack of effort to try to reach out to them. I personally know of efforts that reasonable, responsible people who have been documenting these types of things, they've made the effort of trying to reach out to outlets like, let's say, National Public Radio in the U.S. and they haven't gone anywhere because at the end of the day, there also has to be a reciprocal recognition that there is a need to correct coverage, which I don't think exists. So the approach that I think we are taking is documenting as much of this as we possibly can so that it becomes unimpeachable. It becomes very difficult for anyone to not acknowledge that there is hatred against the Hindu community as well. 
Um, now, one thing that I was actually thinking about recently is that I think what Prasida is mentioning also is that the coverage has improved marginally. So one very simple thing that I used to do a lot was go on the search tool that a lot of mainstream media outlets have and just put in the word Hindu or put in the word India to see what is the distribution of stories. What is the distribution of topics that we see the media covering with respect to Hindus and with respect to India? And you see that actually, I think the the topic of, sorry, the, the distribution of topics has improved. It's become a little bit more representative than it was before. I think before it was basically all about violence that's committed by Hindutva thugs against Muslims. That was it. That was basically all of the stories had to deal with negative stereotypes about the Hindu community. And now you see that the representation has at least gotten a little bit better. Now there's really bad coverage that continues to exist. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, there was a story in the Washington Post that um, uncritically basically republished a quote that said that, you know, attempts to recognize Diwali as a public holiday in New York will be misused by right-wing Hindutva forces. So you I'll see that- no, no, please complete your point. Please. No, I was just saying, so you see so you see the coverage is still very bad, but I'm I'm suggesting that there is in I think in least in some places, this is not something that will change overnight. This is something that is going to change dynamically over over a, a long period of time, which is that once you start the process, the process tends to build on itself, and there also tends to be a counter-reaction to it. So I think we're now in that phase where the process is starting to build very slowly and that there's a counter reaction to it. Now, I'll tell you why I take names, because I always keep receipts. How many people remember this after India's Mars mission, Mangalyan mission? Yeah. yeah. Now, this is the epitome of Hindu hatred, this side. Uh, mm -hmm. This was the Indian, in case people who are listening to the audio, I put an image of an Indian with a typical Indian pagadi with, uh, with a shirt that says India is doing knock-knock with a cow and the elite space club is reading about the Indian Mars mission. Now, now tell me, this is a mainstream American newspaper run by a fourth or fifth generation dynasty, the Salzburger Empire. No, you know, they always like to call Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg. So I will always say Salzburger, Salzburger, Salzburger. People should know who owns the New York <laughs> Times. It's a dynasty that runs the New York Times. People should know the name. So this is a mainstream media narrative over there. By the way, it's still there. It's always there. They don't take these things off. They, 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 they will put it under the American First Amendment. I am pro the First Amendment. But the point is that these things have real life consequences, which is the classic, uh, in our case, the cast cows and curry stereotype, right, Prasidda? Yeah, they do. But the question of, of how can we improve that is I, I do agree with Parth is that, you know, it, it's not, obviously it's not great. And we have also talked about it in this paper of, of all of these different newspapers not doing their due diligence on who they're platforming. But at the same time, the the improvements are marginal, very small. And I think it's going to take years to actually 
have fair viewpoints because what we're not asking is for obviously special treatment. Hindus should be treated the same way that all communities are treated, but that doesn't seem to be the case right now. I think these things are going to take years. Look, the one thing Lester proved, I could not look at every paper. I have been looking at New York Times for the last few years uh, without paying a single penny to, to them. I am so proud of my ways of getting their archives. Um, uh, and I say this every time on my podcast because I want those people to know that I read their paper without paying them. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want them to know that. And they can't even stop it. That's just the best part. They can't even stop that. And I found a trend. Every time a negative stereotype about India is created, the word Hindu is used in the keyword. Mm -hmm. More of, and this is statistically significant. Yeah. This is not uh you know a one-off anecdote it is statistically significant it will pass the p factor verification if you did an analysis i'm not p hacking before somebody says accuses me of p hacking um the second thing is when you have something like this happening on an active level my fear is that we don't have an appropriate response. And this is my criticism of the Hindu community now. The Hindu community's criticism is, and, and I'm so happy that you guys shared that nonsense from the Hindu side in this report too. Because this is your standard Hindu response on social media. This is all they can do. They cannot break things down like you guys did. And I'm so proud of you too. That you guys actually did the effort of breaking this down. This is what real work is. Not abusing someone on social media. That is not real work. And if this is my last question before I start taking the viewer questions. Like if you were have you were to give a message to people who watch this and who want to maybe take some lessons from this. Uh, positive lessons, not negative lessons. <laughs> Just for clarification. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so first you, Prasidda, and then you, Parth, both of you. What is that lesson that you want to give or message you want to give to those people? So wait, is this message for the Hindu community or just like just people in generally? Hindus and everyone, but primarily Hindus. Uh, let's be very honest. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this as Prasidda, not like with my research hat on. but I No, I know. I yeah. get it. So I will say that definitely trolling harassment and abuse is not appropriate responses to anything. In fact, it's not productive. Swearing at someone or saying, blah, 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 how dare you or whatever it is. These are not appropriate. It's not appropriate. And in fact, it doesn't take us actually anywhere. Because the more you troll, the more you like harass people on the internet. It just looks, first of all, it's it looks bad. And, and secondly, it's just not right. I don't know. Like, I mean, I have, of course, I, I'm on the internet. Of course, I've had my fair share of trolling too. I, I, I don't let it bother me, but like, it's not like that's actually going to make me change anything. Like if someone actually said, hey, Prasidda, you said this, but I don't think it's right or whatever it is, then I'll say, oh, you know, thank you for your message. And I appreciate you saying that. And then I'll actually introspect and see, am I, is what I'm doing right? Or is it wrong? Or I'll actually think about it. But if you, if someone says to me, Prasidda, hey, you and swear word, swear word, swear word, I'm just going to be like, you know, whatever. Like, I don't really care about that, right? So I think just generally 
having respectful, engaging dialogue with people is really, really important and not just resorting to like trolling or harassment or abuse on the internet. Fair enough. Part. Be patient and have a pathway of making change. Um, like Prasidha is saying, just shouting into the um, social media echo chamber, especially in a way that is trolling or harassment or disrespectful doesn't help. I would also say that value research, something that we were talking about before we started the podcast. Um, so learn to value the research that your community is doing. If you like the work that NCRI is doing, you can support us financially. If you like the work that someone else is doing, the work that they're doing, please do support them financially. This type of work is important to create a knowledge base through which our community can actually learn about the ways that our diaspora is being affected and how we can then bring this stuff to uh, policymakers, to journalists, like we've been talking about, right? Like how do you actually get the other side who is putting out some of this misleading information? How do you actually get them to change their behavior? You have to confront them with what is actually happening. And that type of monitoring, that type of reporting is not possible without the type of research that Prasidha and the NCRI team did here. Fair enough. Now let's start with the questions. So somebody has started by this. Hi, Parth and Prasidha. Great work. Kudos. Can you explain your approach to sentimental analysis? Also, how can I do pro bono work for you? I have a background in ML and DS. Oh, great. So yeah, um, going to the sentiment analysis, we used Google Jigsaw's Perspective API. Um, it's all open source, really good to use, has been in peer-reviewed papers. Um, it gives us scores based on, well, we picked toxicity, insult, identity attacks, and threats. Um, we ran our data through the Perspective API and received scores between zero and one as, as to whether the tweets were any of these. And then based on that, we developed time series and also did the manual um, classification of uh, the locations of where um, blame was put on Hindus or Muslims. Oh, and as for contacting, i um, happy to give you like my email in the description or something. Uh, do this. Uh... The person who has asked this question is Anurag Sharma. Uh, Anurag, you send me an email and I'll share uh, Prasiddha's uh, email ID with you. All right. The next question is, a great job with the data and the paper. How easy or difficult was it to collate and gather it? Uh, that is the first part. I'll ask the second one later. Um, I think we had to be very clear about the terms that we were using because, for example, like if we just looked at the term Hindu, on Twitter, we're going to get millions of tweets. None of it has to, I mean, or like very little has to do with Leicester. So I think the way we collected terms was very specific to Leicester or the UK or Birmingham or like Melton Road or like something very specific. And we put all of those terms um, in our appendix, which you can check out. So that was, it was more like narrowing down all of those terms and the slurs and other things like that. That was kind of like difficult. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead for the second part of the question. All right. The second part is, I know it is a slow and difficult process. Were the authorities at the social media companies helpful? Um, <laughs> no. We didn't reach out. Yeah, I mean, we didn't we didn't reach out to anyone, so I I can't say. So basically, Wov, so you did not rely on them. You, uh, oh, you basically did what you con. Uh, you can uh, gather in the open arena as it is in the open public space. And that's 
But let's say in the future, do you think if social media companies did, and this will be my last question before we wrap it up, let's say hypothetically, if social media companies would invite researchers to study this so that they can actually improve their algorithm and actually um, reduce these things and lead to positive effects in society, do you uh, do you guys think it could happen? Maybe Parth and you both can share your views because you guys deal with them. I don't. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think if if they if they're open to that, if they're open to having a dialogue, if they're open to getting our insights about what is happening through this example, uh, through this case study, we'd be more than happy to share. I think that's that's exactly the type of impact that at the end of the day we want to have. Right? We see what's going wrong on social media. We want it to be fixed. The actor that can help fix it is the social media company. So at the end of the day, interacting with them is one of the goals. Asida. No, I, I completely agree. Um, absolutely. I, I definitely think social media companies need to be aware. Um, I don't know, for instance, like how many times was uh, this tweet reported or like that tweet was reported. One thing that we do see is like, for instance, that anti-Muslim cartoon, which dehumanized Muslims as insects, that has been removed by Twitter. Um, and there are several other examples of certain bots that have actually since been taken down by Twitter. Um, what, I, you know, again, we, we can't quantify this because we didn't do this analysis, but some of the things that I noticed was that some of these anti-Hindu um, memes that were circulating have not actually been taken down by Twitter. If you look for them today, they'd still be up. So these are things that I think as a community needs to be talking to these social media companies about what constitutes as like an anti-Hindu meme and how can they like develop those technologies from, with trust and safety teams to actually identify it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I personally, I was so happy that uh, this research was done. I think it was very important. And uh, this is my view. For the first time, before we wrap it up, you know, I, I once again want to take this opportunity to congratulate both of you. You know, you guys are doing fantastic work and keep doing this work. And uh, and I will try in my best capacity to do everything that I can to promote it. So uh, as always, pleasure talking to you and thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. All right, guys, before we wrap it up, just a few words. So while the Lester violence was abhorrent, this has been for the first time in my life I, you know, people often accuse me of being a glass half full kind of a guy, but you know, I am what I am. You cannot change my nature. This is the first time I actually believe there was systematized study uh, done from independent researchers to actually understand what is happening. Not only this report, uh, the NCRI report by Parth and Prasidda, even the report which I uh, by the Henry Jackson Society covered by Charlotte uh, Littlewood, which I covered again in detail. Unfortunately, most people don't, but I did. And uh, this is heartening. Why is it heartening? Because for the first time, actual proper research is being done. Real research is being done. Real uh, data is being analyzed. Real effects are being analyzed. Actual peer review work is being done. These things can be verified in real life. The, the story of the Hindu discourse has been, as they say in Hindi, and that has been, uh, you know, I came, I shouted and I went away. That is our, uh, that is our motto on social media. This is a good trend that I have observed for the first time. 
I once again repeat this. You know, a lot of you must have said, "Are the Leicester thing is old news? Why are you talking about it now?" This is the reason I'm talking about. We have to develop a habit of analyzing things when they disseminate. You cannot analyze anything in the 24 to 48 hours. I am not a mainstream media channel where I look at some masala news item which I have to talk about in a 24-hour cycle. I am a serious podcaster. This is the reason I do things the way I do. So you have to understand and start valuing these things as viewers and listeners of the podcast. You have to understand the value of research and research has to be done post the event and that too after a while so that you can collect everything, you can analyze it and you can derive different conclusions out of the data that you have analyzed. This is what real work is. Why this matters is because only after you have these results can you give recommendations just like the henry jackson society had given recommendations in their research report just like prasiddha and parth have given recommendations in this research report these things go to policy makers eventually the henry jackson report will go to policy makers and you know how change happens in society when policy changes when politicians pay attention because the pareto principle is real 20% of the people do decide the fate of the 80% of a society so learn to value these things i'll end it over here once again in the description of the podcast you'll have prasiddha's twitter handle you have parth's twitter handle don't go and abuse them on twitter be nice to them <laughs> <laughs> and the third link will be the actual report i have left a link to the report download this report spend some time read it try and understand what a report does the second thing you could do is if you are a blogger if you are someone on substack use this report or the henry jackson report make a short article out of it and share excerpts of these report uh, cite them that creates impressions that's how you do this work so i hope you guys understand why i insist on these things as far as i'm concerned subscribe to my channel like the video you can support me on youtube on patreon on fanmo or directly through upi or by the merch i'll see you guys next time until then take care bye